Hello, welcome to the Sayers Conversations podcast. Today, our very special guest is Fiona LeBrock, CMO of one of Australia's most iconic brands, Medibank. Enjoy. Okay, this is a Sayers Conversation and we're, we're talking to CMOs, we're talking to the best marketers in the country about... Um, the things they know to be true. Mm. And today we've got Fiona LeBrock, who's the CMO of Medibank um, and and someone who I've known for a very long time. We've never worked together, but we've sort of been in the same orbit, haven't we, Fiona? We have. So we have. welcome. Welcome to the Sayers Conversation. Um, this is designed for you to tell us all those things that you just know work. Yep. Right? So there's a um, – I suspect you don't mind being a teacher – I love being a teacher. I thought you might. Yeah. <laughs> so I want you to be a teacher right here, right now. Um, before we do that, we should do the credential bit. Um, yeah. So you've been around for a while. Yes. Um, and But you started off in the ad world? Yeah, started off in advertising. Did you do anything prior to the ad stuff? Uh, no. Oh, yeah, Europe for Europe. too many years, I think, <laughs> nice. before settling down. Okay. Did you do any selling before advertising? Oh, do you know uh, when I was speaking at a retail conference a few years ago, I my first job as a teenager was at McDonald's. Right. The training of McDonald's is astounding, particularly yep. for customer service. Yep. And so my uh, really my first experience of selling was behind a McDonald's counter. Yeah. And they used to do mystery shopping in those days. And if you got below thirty-seven out of forty, you were fired. What? So you did your job as well as you possibly so could. So that was known throughout the organisation. So you yeah. were, you know, you were young, obviously. You yes. were working behind the counter 15. at Macca's. Yeah. Fifteen. Yeah. And you knew there was such a thing as mystery shoppers. Yeah. So, okay. So do you remember what they were rating? Do you remember what the mystery shoppers were looking for? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So you you were told what they were rating. Ah. So, you know, they had a they had a, a, a process. They probably had four or five things that they were looking for. Uh, when you actually sold to the customer, I mean, you know, you can say it's taking an order, but you had six steps you had to go through. Yeah. And if you didn't go through those in the right order, one of which was not suggestive selling, that was a sub point of one of them, uh-huh. but you had to do suggestive selling. Right. And if you didn't do it in the order, I think you lost five points and so you're out the door. Jeez. Yeah, okay. It's pretty so brutal. Well, I was listening to a podcast over the weekend um, talking about how important it is for young people to have selling experience yeah. um, because as much as anything, some resilience because you get rejected. Yeah. So even when you were selling, you know, trying to get that extra Coke sold, you might yeah. be rejected, right? Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> That's right. So, and in America, it's 15% of the American population, am I right, that 15% of the American population has worked at Macca's at some point in time? Is that right? I reckon that's true. Yeah, well, if they train them the way they did years ago, it would be a, a pretty good start for, for most kids. Yeah. I still get annoyed when they go, go in and they don't uh, they don't put the food in the right order in the bag. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> no, seriously. Uh, yeah. But what a beast. Yeah, yeah. Have you met the new CEO of Macca's? No, I haven't. But I did work on Maccas then many years yeah, later. Yeah, I thought you might have. Yeah, uh, from agency side. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, no, I haven't had anything to do with them professionally for years. But quite an extraordinary brand and uh, worth keeping an eye on because they're doing some really interesting brand development and positioning work too. Well, Very clever. Well, as we know, uh, well, obviously the title of this podcast is what we know to be true. Yeah. So let's get into it. Maccas, what did you learn? Okay, so I can still recall quality, service, cleanliness and value. That was their CVP. And it was tattooed on my brain. Yeah. And, um, and I think that as well as learning that that was the way, that was the promise they made to customers. Yeah. And so customers came in with an expectation that that promise would be met. 
And uh, I think that, you know, the quality of the food, you had a process you had to go through, you know, if you were on the fry station, you know, you, you knew that you had to do this for 30 seconds, this for 45 seconds mm-hmm. and so forth. So the quality was there. Service I've spoken about. Cleanliness, you were out there with your, with your mop and bucket cleaning up after people were there. You yeah. could, couldn't leave tables there. And, uh, and, and, of course, value for money. So the thing is, at a very early stage, you were, you were trained that it was your responsibility as an individual to deliver that. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing that that, that taught me is the uh, power of uh, uh, mnemonic and yeah. acronyms yeah. because QSMV was just, as I say, it was, it was tattooed there. Yeah. So I think um, making your CVP super clear, known, memorable and that people understand how to deliver on it is absolutely critical. And the other thing that you said, which I, which I like, um, but I wonder whether this is something that everyone does, um, it's known to the staff that there is mystery shoppers yep. and it's known to the staff what the mystery shoppers are looking for. Yep. Yeah. Um, so that seemed really simple to me, but I'm not so sure that everyone would do that. I don't even know if you're allowed to have mystery shoppers now. That would be interesting to find out. <laughs> but there was also, there, there, there was the stick, but um, <laughs> if you... If you got a 40 out of 40, uh, you got a Ronald McDonald watch. Mate. <laughs> have you got any? I got two and, <laughs> and then I got a third and I said I'd rather have the money, please. <laughs> Excellent. So we know you're ambitious, uh, right? Yeah, so we've, yeah. we've discovered that. Yeah. So you came back from overseas yeah. um, and into the ad world, yeah? Yeah. So yeah. tell us about that. So did you did you do a degree of sorts? No, or, no? I didn't. Straight into no, it? No, straight into it. Cool, um, yeah. And I, I talk about that quite often, particularly with people who come into our team. I don't have a marketing degree. Um, I've, I've learnt it on the job. Yeah. Um, I did have a number of jobs, you know, overseas. I worked in PR. I actually worked with Hall Advertising in Edinburgh, but just temping. Um, but advertising seemed to wrap up a whole lot of things for me mm. um, in terms of things that I naturally lent into. Um, and uh, and I so that was at DDB, and my first client was McDonald's at DDB. In fact, my first boss was Ben Amafio. Uh, very good. Yeah, and um, I was at McDonald's, and <laughs> then I moved over to Blockbuster Video those days. Wow. So we had... Uh, well, Blockbuster, that would have been interesting because, again, um, well, it was on trend there for a, a period. Yeah. Um, and... Back to the Maccas, you would have learned from a lot from Maccas that you yeah. could apply to Blockbuster. That's right, because Blockbuster, a lot of the executives of Blockbuster Video were ex-McDonald's. So yes. yeah. there was the what they referred to as the cookie-cutter approach. But I started on Blockbuster when it had six stores and was with it until they had about 120 stores. Mm. So it was the brand was not known, so it was simultaneously brand building. It's where I learned all about local store marketing. From the best because McDonald's just was exemplary yep. at local store marketing. Mm-hmm. So you actually there were all the different levels that you could you could actually think about how you were developing the brand and the business and and uh, you know driving like they used to break down with Blockbuster Video. I think that's where I learned know your numbers and use your numbers to diagnose the problem. Right, um, and that was local area marketing because you know they had uh, total membership, active membership, visit frequency. Average check equals total net revenue. And, you know, again, you can just – you go through these things and I rem- I've looked at that because we used to sit down every week and look at every single store. Oh, wow, okay. Pick the outliers. So this was the agency? Something. This is the agency, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. And so this was DDB? Yep. Uh, well, DDB and then JWT. Okay. So we moved. Okay. And so – and JWT had Blockbuster? Yes. And what else did you work on when you were there? 
Well, Blockbuster took up most of my time. Mm-hmm. I think we used to put, I don't know, 600 jobs through a month or something, so it was pretty busy. But I also worked on Kodak. So that must have been the uh, two two brands uh, that we don't really yeah, hear I much know, of. I know that were big brands, and it just shows you big brands uh, have to fight to survive as much as as any brands. So Kodak was was pretty light touch, though. We also uh, Blockbuster had bought Virgin Music, and in their wisdom, decided to rebrand it Blockbuster Music. <laughs> that was smart. Yep. <laughs> so I worked on those at JWT, uh, and uh, then went to MNC Saatchi, Melbourne yep. founder, ANZ. ANZ was mm-hmm. the founding client yes, there. Yes, remember that well. Um, and Beating in a pitch. Yeah, did we? Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, all's fair. Um, we also launched, oh, it was funny, I was thinking, uh, talking to someone about this the other day, Transurban was a client there as well, so we launched CityLink. So I don't yeah. know too many people can say they've launched a road. No, good. That was, uh, that was interesting. But ANZ, was, uh, that was f- fabulous and agency life in, well, certainly then, which was the late 90s, was... Uh, God, it was amazing. You know, MSC Saatchi was Creative Agency of the Year. Um, Rapidly you know, as well. I mean, yeah. I mean uh, MNC Saatchi, of course, is a very well-known brand now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. However, when you were there, yeah. it was a startup. Well, it was. They'd been in Sydney for about two years mm-hmm. um, and then came to Melbourne and it was a startup. And uh, it was, um, you know, I don't think we used to refer to businesses as, as startups then. But, you, you know, you can see now that's exactly yeah. what it was. The yep. excitement in those first few years mm-hmm. and the intimacy of everybody who worked there. And we worked bloody hard, but, you know, had a lot of fun. It was and, great. And some lifelong friends come off the back Lifelong of friends, yes. yeah, yeah. Okay, so the, but you left. Yeah, left. Well, I went to Sydney with Emma Sisarchi. Yeah. And then you, what did you work on there? I uh, worked on Qantas and ABC. <laughs> that's from going from the sublime to the ridiculous, isn't that's it? That's good. Yeah. So one uh, obviously deeply commercial and the other one not. Um, but it was great, actually. They were a great foil for each other. And you know what it's like, Russ, when you work on agency side, working on multiple brands is uh, important and good because you can actually take learnings from one to the other and it just gives exactly. you breath. It was great. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, so that was uh, MNC Saatchi Sydney. Then I left for two years, worked in ran my own research company for a couple of years called The Truth Report. That's interesting. So why did you do that? Well, I was kind of done. I was a bit sick of it. I didn't uh, – I, I felt a bit burnt out. Um, I just wasn't that passionate about suiting, I don't think. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think uh, – I, I lean to the truth a lot yeah. sometimes, yeah. a bit of a double-edged sword, but I think uh, the truth will out. Mm. And uh, research is, is just, I think, fundamentally, everything you do is data-driven. It's just different types of data. And uh, so I found research fascinating. And I was also, I've always admired, you know, Hugh Mackay and the work that they do. And I've always looked at futurists overseas and I've, I've always been quite fascinated about that. So that's what drew me into it. But there were just some practicalities that... Uh, that didn't make sense, and mm. but what uh, about uh, so trend forecasting has always been. I mean, mm. I've always been interested in that as well. Yeah. You've just made me think of Frances Cancross. Remember Frances Cancross? Oh, that rings a bell. Yeah, she wrote a book around about that time. Yeah, um, just uh, oh, I wish I could remember the title of the book, but anyway, it was all about the future. Yeah, um, and one of the thought lines through the book was the the notion the death of distance. Yes. The, so this was early digital days, of course, yeah. and the the fact that because of the digital wiring that we all know now know so well, the distance no longer mattered. Yeah. Right. Yes. Of course. Yeah. It was Makes a killer sense. thought. Yeah. Absolutely. And the and the idea that um, ideas could travel. So 
back then, of course, learning that an idea um, could travel rapidly, yeah. that was a big thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We, yeah. Sort of got, we all got a bit excited about that. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard when you've lived with it now for so long to think there was a time when you didn't think that way. Yeah, that's right. Um, Faith Popcorn was the other one, you remember? Yeah, I do. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, uh, I think that there was, I think, you know, marketers essentially, not that this is a, a truism per se, but I think the best marketers are left and right brain. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think um, in terms of uh, futurists, they have to be both left and right brain and they can be, as you know, very compelling in the way they express what mm-hmm. those trends are. Yep. And that can be, you know, I think as it draws people in as, as much as anything. So anyway, I, I do, I've always been very attracted to the left and right brain. Right, I, work. I, I like it, I like it. So Truth Report then moves into corporate land, I think. Oh no, so then I, I worked for five years with Spinach. Um, of course. Yeah, with uh, Craig and Frank. Uh, but in a planning role. So I went in as director of planning and I loved that. Yeah, well, off the back of doing the truth report. Yeah, that would correct. make a lot of sense. Yeah. So what brands then? So, uh, well, ABC, ING Direct uh, were the big ones there. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to think of some others. It was a little while ago now. Um, they, they, they were the ones that I think I spent most time on. So, so far we've got ANZ, Qantas, ABC, Blockbuster, Mac as an ING. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you went to Seek. Then I went to NAB. Yeah, get it right. Yeah, no, I was just, I mean, you know, an agency of what was then about 25, 30 to a business of 44,000, it was... That's um, a little different. It was a bit uh, a bit brutal. Yeah. So, yeah, NAB. And NAB was, like, that was interesting. I went in as head of brand to NAB and uh, I was fascinated to realise that there was, it was a tiny function, tiny, tiny function. Yeah, yes. And... Um, and I'd spent obviously years yeah. working. Isn't that fascinating? I was, yeah. Yeah, the way anyway. the way the banks work, um, when you're head of brand for yeah. NAB, yeah. and having the background that you and I have, yeah, um, we think that that is, you know, in the in the office next door to the CEO. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. how we think it should be. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yet in bank world, it's not really. No, well, I think it's probably well, it has definitely changed a lot. Mm. But I mean, that was two thousand and nine, so yeah. it wasn't that long ago. It's not. And uh, yeah, so that was that was fascinating and interesting. What did you do there? Uh, well, the, I did uh, a bunch of things. Probably the biggest was a breakup campaign. Thought that might have been you. Yeah, and the, it's interesting because one of the um, you know again a truism what you what, you know what you know to be true. I love that concept. Yeah, is um, a well defined or a well framed problem mm. takes you halfway to the solution. And um, with the breakup campaign, the the issue, the business issue, was that we weren't differentiated. We also didn't have preference, by the way, but we, we certainly weren't differentiated. And I remember the brief we wrote for the agency, which was Clem's. Uh, the you know, you know, you, you consumer insider, we consumer truth. We said, oh, you know, consumers uh, can't differentiate between us. Very often, an agency will do a reverse brief, and the reverse brief that came back said, no, the truth is that people think you collude. Yes, that's good. And I Smart. It was super smart because yeah. I'm not sure anybody in the bank would ever have written that. No, that's right. Yeah. And so um, I think that, that they framed the problem um, much more surgically and you can the leap to go from that to yeah. the breakup campaign yep, is yep. not that big a leap, it's is not, it? No, you can see where it came from. Yeah, so PRJ, you know, yes. was the author of that, and then Tom and Jules on the creative mm-hmm. with James, and 
you know, they got that brief and responded in one week. And in one week they read us the Dear John letter. Yeah. So, you know, it didn't need weeks, I think, because they got the problem right. So. And, you know, but in the end, um, okay, so brief creates a – well, there's a creative – it's not really much of a creative leap, actually, because you can just see how it happens. Yep. Um, but then you've got to sell that into the organisation. Yeah. Now, um, you know better than me, Fiona. Yeah. Getting an organisation sold on an idea, yeah. just a, a normal, everyday idea is hard. But an idea like that, that's yeah. super hard. Yeah. So any tips? Oh, gosh. Well, I think at the time it was actually just difficult getting it past the first level because uh, they saw it as a retail campaign and they just didn't understand the power of the idea. Um, So, you know, I think, (laughs) God, how do you do this? Look, the way way I would do it today, I think, rather than them, is that everything you do has got to have a business impact. There's got to be a reason why you're doing it. Um, You know, uh, selling an idea into the executive... They need to have confidence um, that you're doing it for the right reasons, um, that you're managing risk appropriately, um, and the more you actually build the trust, I think the more creative you can be. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it just needs to be managed, understanding all of the things that the executive are accountable for. So the breakup campaign, famous. Yeah. yeah. Did it work? Did it tick all the boxes that it had to tick? It's a good question. So so the campaign was designed as a disruptor. It wasn't designed to actually then sell. And we actually had a campaign to immediately follow that. So it was to create the aperture in which to then drive, Mm -hmm. you know, various products and so forth. Um, And uh, so it ticked all the boxes on the campaign because what it did is it uh, lifted preference to number one for for that period of time. It activated the market so you could actually – it tapped into all the, you know, latent switching propensity, activated it so we could pick up a lot of people then. But I understand subsequently um, that when they did the business numbers like 12 and 24 months later, Uh um, it it didn't – deliver against what I, I think the executive were expecting it to deliver against. But I don't think that's the fault of that campaign. I think it's the fault of what the follow-up was yeah. on it. Mm. And it should have been, there should have been a fast follower and uh, and we delayed. Right. Uh, we delayed and we changed some things. And uh, so I think as often happens, you know, when you create that equity, you need to leverage it pretty quickly because momentum doesn't hang around. It's Well, there's a lesson. It, it, it's very interesting, isn't it, how how quickly clients, I don't know, they, clients they seem to want to move on when they shouldn't move on. Or an idea's been developed, the idea's working, and they try and find a way for it not to work anymore. Yeah. So yeah. Why, does it, why does that happen? I, I Look, I think it's just familiarity with something. If someone's tired of something, they think everything everyone's tired of it. But, but you're right. I mean, the thing is, it shouldn't matter what someone thinks. It should matter what the data tells you. And if your idea's tracking well, if it's still compelling... You know, if you're getting the attribution, if you have an idea that has legs that you can stretch, then obviously you don't have to start everything new because it's expensive. Every new idea you take to market, every new campaign, it's expensive to start from scratch. So there is enormous, I mean, you know, you know, some of the famous brands that build equity in in ideas and they're usually deeply ingrained in the organisation. Um, I think campaign ideas can and should change, but the brand ideas mm. shouldn't. They, you should hold on to those. It was interesting um, earlier, you talked about the cookie cutter, you know, mm. from Macca's then mm. Blockbuster, the notion of the cookie cutter process. 
See, when when you said cookie cutter, my mind immediate, immediately went to Bunnings Warehouse. Yeah. In that, in an advertising sense, it's a cookie cutter. Yeah. And I like it for that. It's incredibly strong. Mm. I, th- I think cookie cutter probably sounds negative or has negative yeah. connotations, yeah. but it's really just if you've got the formula for something that works, well, make it work. I know. And keep leveraging it. And I think when you look at Bunnings, you know, it's kind of they're real people. They're real people who work there. Yeah. So there's enormous credibility to that. There's authenticity, obviously. You know, it's not as, even as if they're particularly clever with the style of photography or filming, but it just is what it is. And when you go into the store, that's what it feels yeah. like. Yeah. It fascinates me. Back to NAB. Um, there was a campaign for the NAB, uh, oh, 95, tailoring oh. banking to your needs. What a cracking, what a cracking line. Yeah. Right? Yep. Um, and there's no reason why they shouldn't be still using that now. Yeah. And, yet, and yet, again, there's an example of, uh, walking away from an asset, although maybe it wasn't an asset. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, it may have been. There is yeah. the risk of this whole not invented here. Everybody wants to have their own thing. But I think you'll appreciate this, Russ, because you know the history of it. But um, Medibank used to have I Feel Better Now. I, I remember it well. And very strong. And and we have spent a lot of time looking at that and uh, discussing whether to reprise it and Ultimately, um, our purpose is better health for better lives and living better is actually what the – that's the expression of it. And so that is now our positioning, live better. But within live better, a massive component of it is to feel better. And, of course, you know, feel better then was much more about functional health. Feel better now is about mental health. Mm -hmm. And so with all the products and services that support mental health – Feel better is firmly ingrained in in what we do. Yeah, there's always there was always something powerful about the eye bit, though. I reckon uh, you're right. Yeah, yeah, and well, the eye the eye is important because it's about the individual. Health is a you know fundamentally intimate thing, isn't it? It's one of those things. That's why you need so much trust. And uh, and 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 I think we probably we've again we've talked about making more out of that. Yeah. Um, in time. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, I think what we tried to do a couple of years ago was, um, you know, we, we always use real people. We don't use talent in ads. And I think it was just always trying to talk to the individual health needs, and that's what the eye is about in Medibank. So we have skipped seek. We have skipped seek, no, I, don't, yeah. I didn't mean to do no, that. Because no, no, I think I did that. Sorry. I, no, I, I mean, I, th- I think seek, seek to me is one of the great corporate stories of Australia, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I seriously believe that if Seek was a Californian company, there'd already be three Hollywood movies and 17 yeah. books about yeah. it. Yeah, Because it's like a joke, really, how yeah. successful it is. Yeah. So what did you learn out of, at Seek? You were there for a period. Yeah, I was about three and a half years. Right. Look, do you know, when the role came up, um, and again, it was head of brand, um, when the role came up, you know when you, you're thinking about what's my next step going to be, and if you're a brand marketer you think about the brands that you want to work on and seek hadn't actually made it onto my radar but when it cropped up and i heard which brand it was i was beyond excited before i'd even met them because it's such an extraordinary brand and it's beautiful and it's simple and it's clear so um what i loved about seek was to me it was the culture was a combination of uh it felt like an agency and i loved that and but it was a serious business 
Um, I think when I as opposed to agencies. Well, no, 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 no. Sorry, that sounds no, terrible. No, 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 no. Sorry, it was also, but um, it was a, an ASX fifty. So it was, you oh. know, that's that's what I mean. Um, but I think uh, what did I learn at Seek? Gosh, so much. When I started, I reckon the share price was. Uh, Five dollars thirty or something. Market cap of one point eight. Oh wow! And okay. in three years, yeah. share price was twenty dollars. Yeah. Market cap of six billion. Yeah. And we never had the share price as an objective. And Andrew Bassett would always say, "It is an outcome. You guys focus on what you know how to do best, mm-hmm. and 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 the rest will follow." Um, I think that uh, probably, like coming from a big corporate organisation, a big banking organisation, clearly when they're that massive, you just need you know, masses of processes and protocols. Seek didn't have that. There was quite a bit uh, still of not shooting from the hip. It was all really intentional and clever, very, very clever people. Right. Um, but um, what I did do in my first couple of weeks, Paul Bassett had le- just left Seek and he'd started up um, uh, a VC yeah. company. Square Peg. Square Peg, thank you. And he... Um, he was actually the one that had created the brand. You know, AB and PB had kind of split. So I asked him if I could have a coffee with him because I wanted to talk to the person yeah. who had created the brand. And I think that that's, I think, probably something that's a very important truism is go to the provenance of a brand. I, I agree with that a thousand percent. It's very interesting, isn't it? So sometimes if you have a brand problem, go back to the beginning and yeah. you'll probably find the answer. Yeah, yeah. The, the reason why it was created mm-hmm. And uh, Paul was incredibly generous with his time and, you know, we subsequently uh, set up, you know, um, uh, you know, we just established a relationship from there. Um, but uh, he, was, um, he was very candid and he was very humble and, uh, but he, he just taught me the provenance of, of the brand and that kind of enabled us to think about how we were going to evolve the brand and not move it from anything because it was just amazing. It was very good to see Seek back on back on sort of big mainstream marketing recently. Yeah. I, yeah. I was thrilled to see that. Yeah. Um, just because I like it. Yeah. I don't know. Did did it work for them? Uh, recently. Yeah. I mean, just the fact that they've gone back to. I mean, I, I always I wondered for a long time, really, for at least ten years, probably more. Yeah. Why they weren't? Why Seek wasn't playing a role of market shaper? Yeah. Um, in that. In that. Uh, Seek does well if there's movement in the market. Yeah, for sure. And so the creation of movement in the market by, you know, the aspirational idea that there's a better life out there somewhere, yeah. I always thought was a smart move for them. Yeah, yeah. But they haven't yeah. got so they weren't there for quite a period, or maybe they were. Well, look, I think uh, I won't speak to the business strategy, but they had a really interesting setup with Seek Employment and Seek Learning. Yeah. So you know, when when unemployment uh, uh, was up, then obviously you know, Seek Employment was, was was raging. And when it was down, Seek Learning came into its own because people were looking at their development. Such Smart. a clever, clever strategy. It's like Cadbury and Schweppes, yeah, right? Schweppes during the summer, Cadbury during the winter. And, <laughs> and I think I think the thing that we landed on strategically at Seek was just the notion of change. And it was if change is uh, imposed on you, you tend to just cope with change. Whereas if you proactively seek change, you have a much better opportunity of thriving. Right. And that was the strategy that we, we said at the time. We actually wanted people to more proactively take their career in hand and do something about it. Uh, and look, at the time, we were you know, setting up and designing a whole lot of new uh, products. 
uh, around unstructured data because SEEK just had mammoth amounts of data that would really help people determine then what their next right. step should be. Right. Right. And, um, yeah, we did. We, we, we had a great campaign, but it, it didn't land us where exactly where we wanted to land. Very early days uh, digital marketer. Really it was. It was very early days. And yeah, that's right. In fact, I learned a lot from the other marketers there. It hadn't been a space I'd worked in closely. And uh, we had some fantastic digital marketers in that space. So that was that was a learning curve for me, you yeah. know, SEM, SEO. Um, and, uh, you know, it was... Um, it was it was one of the forerunners. Uh, well, I remember mm. them being a forerunner, and I, I remember it frightening the hell out of me. Yeah. you know, yeah, because I was the ad guy. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, money was out moving out of our our building and into exactly. Well, in fact, in fact, in the main, they kept it for themselves and spent it on their search engine marketing and yep. optimization. Yep. So yep. that to me is one of the things which I, must be very complex. Now, let's fast forward to today. Yeah. You have a budget. Yeah. Where do you point your money must be an incredibly difficult task. Yep. So yep. what process do you go through yep. in order to have confidence confidence levels in how you divide up your, your effort? Yeah. A good question. Not so easy to answer, so no. I'll, I'll explore it a bit. Mm. Um, I think your starting place has to be what are you trying to achieve in the short term and the long term? Mm-hmm. Um, I am passionate about that because you've got a number of jobs to do. Um, you you have to build the brand equity because the equity is your stored future sales and it's your natural, what we would call joins or natural sales because obviously we're member-based. So you've got to think about where the brand equity is at because it should be the engine room of your performance. Um, that's what I believe to be true. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's part of it. And then, so you know, okay, well, that's an important job we need to do. And the second thing is that you have to drive sales today. Yeah. And driving sales today is actually a little bit easier because you can directly attribute sales or certainly different, you know, areas of the path to purchase to certain activities that you're doing. And, you know, in the early days of search, you'd look at last click attribution, which is really not that helpful as we now know. Um, So you've got to think then about short-term sales. So really the starting point is how how much of your sales are being driven by your brand at the moment? If it's 20%, then you've got to get 80% of your sales in your short term. If your brand is driving 60%, of your natural joins or sales, mm. then you don't have to spend as much on your short term. And the thing is, short term is much more expensive than your natural joins. How do you, how do you, how do you measure that? How do you know the 60 versus the 20% in terms of natural natural joins? Or yeah. nat- I mean, I love the idea of the notion that brand equity is natural sales. Yeah. I like that. I'm it's going to use that. Stored future sales, I think. is. I'm writing that down. Yeah, there you go. There's one for you. Thank you. So... The, the, the path there is not always clear, but um, one of the things that we've done, because brands like Medibank invest in media um, to the extent that we do, you need to understand exactly what's working and what's not and how it's working. Yeah, yeah. So an econometric model is going to help you, which is what we did. So we've, we've actually had two or three econometric models and we learn something new each time we do it. How fun. Yeah, it is. It's great fun. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's complicated and it's interesting. And um, so what that can tell you is, uh, is which joins you can attribute yep. and, and how. So we, we started off calling it um, your, like your sub-base. It's almost like when you think about an iceberg, what sits below the base. Yeah, yeah. That's your, your, you know, your, your natural joins. 
and when you know that and it kind of makes sense as well because you could also use your brand valuation as a proxy which we also do so you you can actually use those and say yep they're about aligned so therefore we have confidence that we're delivering this much through the brand and then the the balance of those is is your natural joins and your target what's that delta right yep okay okay and so then then you've got to work out well, you know, we all do. We've got a we've got a cost to acquire, mm-hmm. and uh, you've got a you've got a cost to acquire, and you've got an average, and you want to bring it down. So you've got to find really efficient ways of doing that. Is part of the trick? Um, actually, did that all make sense? By did. the way, okay. It did. Is part of the trick joining um, or finding a way to do both the long term brand equity and yep. the short term at the same time in the same in the same with the same dollar? Yeah. Is that is that part of I'm not saying you can do that every single time, but is that part of what you try and do? Yeah, you do, of course, because, you know, let's talk about, you know, like 20 years ago, you used to have the inverse triangle, or rather triangle, it was brand, product and retail, and you you would split your spend or your allocation across those. I think brand today, um, you know, people use brands as shortcuts. That's another truism. Yeah. So you, you set your brand up to set up the emotional connection, and if people are emotionally connected to you, they are predisposed to consider you. So the brand work can definitely do the top of the funnel work. And if you turn that consideration into preference, and that usually comes from salience, then you've got your, your, your prospects are more qualified when they come into the funnel and you're going to convert them better. Nice. So I think uh, you can't just do brand advertising and you can't just do retail advertising or product advertising. Um, I think I learnt very early, like this is back in my DDB days, that everything is everything has to be brand. Brand plus brand, brand plus product, brand plus retail. So if you've got your retail campaigns out there, they've got to be doing a job with the brand. Mm. But it's not their primary purpose. The primary purpose is to sell. Yeah. Yep. And so, but you want to make but sure... you don't want to undermine, obviously. You don't want to undermine. And you actually... I, th- I always talk about the, the reciprocity of the brand. It can give, but it's got to get back. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to leverage the brand, you want to make sure uh, that whatever you're doing gives some value back to the brand and then it's a very healthy symbiotic relationship. So I'm getting anxious because we're going to run out of time here. Okay. And I want to ask you about internal... Internal proposition, yeah. internal comms, I suppose, and then design and the role that design can play yeah. Um, yeah. In, in just getting stuff right. And do you mean design from a, you know, more of an advertising and a visual design or do you mean design of products and propositions? No, more the visual part. Yeah, of yeah. It. So, uh, look, um, every year I learn more about this. It can do a much bigger job than I ever thought imaginable. Yes. Um, we launched a new brand platform last year and, you know, you look at your brand and you look at what's strong about it and you look at where there's room for development and we were looking at some areas like that. And we work with Colenso, uh, who are absolutely amazing, and we spoke to them and said we, we really need to bring, we need to contemporise the brand, we need to modernise the brand, we need to make people feel more about it. We want what we look like to engage people and they were so clever they came up because uh the positioning of medibank is is actually about um enabling your potential health is the enabler of your potential so they really got into that they actually looked at the building that we're in at the moment Mm. they looked at the provenance of the brand 
And they came up with the concept called fun biology. <laughs> I love it. And if you look at the visual uh, identity totally, now, totally. It is, that's what it's about. That is what it is. It's fun biology. So it uses <laughs> this beautiful, fresh colour palette that took all our core, um, so you know, attribution and retained that attribution. So red features, obviously. Um, and it gave us this beautiful, fresh palette. It gave us this movement. It gave us the most incredible flexibility. And But then they added things like, you know, emojicons, we call them, because you can then augment photography and film. And if you've seen any of the TV... I and, have, and you do it beautifully. So, you know, there's a, my, one of my favourites, a favourite... Um, uh, Pregnant lady? There, yes, so we, we've had pregnant. Yeah. But there was this woman who was in a kitchen... And if you just saw the photo, she was like a harried housewife with two kids and yeah. you can see she's stressed and she's juggling. But you add the emojicons of a heart yeah, over her and then you add some emojicons of strong arms beside her mm. and suddenly the oh, image no, no. means so much more. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because one of the things that perhaps I know to be true yeah. is that this, this, when I say the word obvious, don't, don't take that in a negative way. Yeah. The obvious can be hugely powerful. Yeah. So the notion of animation of a big heart and, mm. and strength, mm. if you do that in a – if you articulate it in a creative fashion, yeah. it can just be a massive X factor. Yeah. And yet, what is it? It's yeah. a smile, it's a heart, it's yeah. a muscle. Yeah. Right? So it's yeah. not that big a deal. But, but you, know, you know better than most that using a symbol or something that's the fastest way of communicating – an image obviously can do that yeah. faster than – words often can and so it carries with it a lot of emotion or a lot of intent and it's just it's it's just the fastest way the most efficient way to say this is what this mum's about she's about love and strength i love it Uh, i've been wondering when when is the um yellow button smiley face going to come back remember that oh yeah 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 oh yeah yeah i mean that that to me is like the insane power of that and yeah. yet, I don't think that's been used for thirty years. Probably hasn't. Has it been? Has it been superseded by the? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I just find it really interesting. Just those little simple, very simple symbols which yeah. you're using yeah. that actually are way more powerful than you can even measure. Yeah, yeah, they are. I think it's um, and I, I think that's that's part of our job, isn't it? When you talked about how do you how do you split your money up, you know, mm. it isn't just where you spend it; it's how you spend it, and you. You know, people invite you into their lives or into their minds and they only do that if you do it in a way that's presenting some value to them, Mm. that's meaningful. And I think that if you can do it through entertainment, obviously through storytelling, um, through you just find a way where they can go, I can can relate to that. They're not going to consciously say that, obviously. So I'm going to have a go at some of the things which I think are true. Yep. and then you've got a few notes there I can see. Yeah. So I just want to make sure that we've got everything that you know to be true. Yeah. Right. So the first thing that comes to mind is know your numbers. Yep. Um, and that you have spent a career recognising that the numbers matter. Absolutely. Another one which um, I've learned mm-hmm. is that you need to find that balance between, and maybe the numbers bit and the creative bit, but the right brain and the left brain yep. need to, to play a role in how you conduct yourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, look, I think this is true for your people and your team as much as it is your customers. Um, and uh, I think this is where creativity um, 
is born. It's a muscle that you can develop. You, you don't have to be born that way. And I think that if the numbers tell you, help you, numbers help you understand what you need to focus on, you need your research to understand your customer. You need mm-hmm. to understand what they feel, what they're, what they're afraid of, what they're ambitious for. Um, and that understanding is going to help you think creatively about how you could solve the problem. Now, you know, I think you can be creative on the client side as well as working with creative people on an agency side. And it's actually, that's a really beautiful relationship when it works properly. So right brain, left brain is really, you know, um, don't be frightened to use your imagination. In fact, it's the multiplier. There's no question creative is a multiplier. I would say experience is the multiplier as well. That's something we talk about quite a lot. Okay, mm. that's fair. Simplify. Yeah. I think you're into simplification. Yep, yep. Um, is that something that you just know to be true or you just um, you naturally do it? Uh, as in do you work on it? Yeah. Or you just that's just where you Look, are? Look, anyone who's worked with me for a while know, I will know I office often preface something with, I'm sorry if this is too reductive, but... Yeah, okay. And I think there's probably a few reasons why I do it. One is I get really bored with detail and I'm not good at detail. And I frame things. I just mentally frame things all the time. And I do like to bring things down to like a core truth or a core insight. That's probably MNC Saatchi training, to be honest. You know, you've got your, your category truth... You, your consumer insight and then your unavoidable truth. So I, I think the simplicity, yeah. it forces you, you know, focus equals sacrifice yeah. and I think that's what I like about simplicity is it focus. Brut- brutally simple thinking. Brutally that, simple thinking, that's that what was it was. MNC, wasn't it? They, was, did, they made a fortune off yeah, the back yeah. of brutally simple thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Research yeah. matters? Yes, research matters. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And so research to make decisions or research to help you, to guide you? I actually had that as one of the things I'd written down. I I really, research is never to make decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, It is to inform you and it will be one source of a number of sources where you gather information. Um, And, you know, there's there's your regular, quants and trackers are super important, qualitative is important. Um, uh, Ethnography, I think, is the area that we need to spend a bit more time on because you... You know, we won't go into this now, but um, culture is is where your future growth comes from. Understanding the culture that you're operating in, not the category. So the culture, as so you're talking about externally, not yep. talking internally. Yep. So it's interesting. You're making me think now of um, John Steele. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So Differentiate or die was that? Yeah, true? and yeah, John Steele was all about brand truth, human truth, cultural truth. Yes. Yeah. So what's going on right here, right now? Yes. That you can reflect in your in your effort. Yeah, and and what's emerging. Because you can focus on what you focus on today, but it's not tomorrow. Right. So research matters not just to, you know, give you, you how did you go? Mm-hmm. You, it's it's got to be where are you going and why, and that's where differentiation starts. Another thing that I think is true for you mm. is uh, work with the best. Yes. Uh, as, and I'm thinking from a supplier point of view. I'm sure, you, I'm sure the people that work with you yes. are outstanding. They are. But you're a buyer. Yeah. You've got money. Yeah. Um, a marketing budget. So therefore, you can choose what you buy. Yes. And when you can choose what you buy, you have a choice. Mm. It surprises me how often people choose not to buy the best. Yes. I think you. I think the part of what you do yeah. is buy the best. Uh, yes, we do. Uh, it's the best for us, I think. Um, 
And uh, we work as an organisation, we work with the monkeys in Colenso. So monkeys, obviously, at Chem Colenso Medibank. Um, and I, I think most people enter a situation like that. I don't believe in, in long lists. I think you should know who you want to work with. Yep. And there should be a few of them that you want to work with. And you don't know them until you get to know them. Yeah. So, you know, you're always going to look at all the regular, you know, uh, usual suspects um, in terms of, you know, how the agency is run, how they would structure it, who would support it, et cetera. You look at their case studies. Chemistry is super important for me. Um, and individuals may come and go, but you want to know that your values are in sync. Mm. And so they, they are the best. And if I think of Colenso, they punch well above their weight. Mm. Um, and they have probably they've just stretched us, and and I appreciate them for that. Um, you know, we're an insurance organisation. That's certainly our heritage. We're a health organisation now, and so you work with the best because you need to trust them to stretch you in the right way. Um, well, and they're phenomenal. Well, you're doing a beautiful job. I mean, this is a brand which is you know you could you could argue. Um, that it's well, it, it does. It has a conservative heritage. Yes. Um, and yet, it, the impression that I get from the brand now is certainly not conservative. Yeah. And I'm thinking about when you were at the NAB. There was a conservative entity there. Yeah. Um, and what you did there certainly wasn't conservative. No. Um, what else, what am I missing out on here? So blockbuster, not so much because you just you were just doing what had to be done. Yeah. Mac, as you learned about the um, the importance of internal comms, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and having a mantra training, uh, yeah, training, um, M and C and A and Z. So that is just that sense of team, probably is what was the overriding. Oh, look, I think I think probably M and C Archie was my first time to where creative was king, most definitely, yeah. and and the agency, uh, you know. That was the intent as well. So, you know, um, uh, Paul Taylor, and uh, he, he did the most beautiful work mm. on ANZ. Um, you know, Tom McFarlane obviously was the ECD overall. So I think, I, while I didn't talk about it before, you know, being Creative Agency of the Year for three, four years in a row, I think um, everybody was incredibly proud. I think as a, as a suit, when creative is king, you've, you know, then you have to work a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think I was the best suit by a long shot. It was just never my sweet spot. Um, Brent Smart was one of the suits there, you know, a super creative suit and, and yep. look at Brent now. Yep. So, yeah, I think creativity being the king there. But, of course, it's the, the bonding of those relationships was profound, yeah. really profound. Now, um What's on your list? What have, what have I missed out on? Oh, look, I think we've covered uh, we've covered a lot of them. Look, I I think that you know one of the things that's become, you know, you know sometimes truisms lose potency because they're just you know used a lot and lip yeah. services paid to them. You know, one of those is customer first, um, and but I think everything starts with the customer. When you're in service of the customer, which every business is, then. Even if you've got a business problem, you still have to frame it as from a customer need or a customer problem to be solved. Totally. And you learned that when you were 15. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And they're, they're not numbers. I spoke with someone yesterday who said, well, we pretty much make our decisions from a spreadsheet, an Excel spreadsheet. And I said, is that satisfying? And they said, not at all. No. And I said, they're people. They're not engaged or disengaged as a cohort, they're people. So I, I think it's just, you know, is it customer first or human first? It sounds like the most obvious thing, but it needs to be championed. Yeah, and, and it's very difficult when you – how many customers have you got? Well, we've got 
three million members yeah. as a base and a million HM, four million in total. And of over course, you've gone through a difficult time when the customers yes. were, you know, anxious about um, themselves as an individual. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah that's right. Um, and I think it's the the not just the momentum of the brand prior to that, but the qualities of the brand that we built, particularly trust. Um, that that has served us incredibly well because we yeah because it's such a strong base to go back to. Well, there's an, there is a great storyline around a great case study around the importance of equity. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, you know our member trust is is incredibly strong, and it's that's that's the most important thing. Right. What you trust is outside the business matters, obviously. Um, but when you're a when you're a member based organisation like we are then they have to be your focus. So clearly how you deal with issues is an opportunity. Yeah, that's right. And did you As see, always. so I mean, it was sort of alluding to it, but you had the cyber issue. Yeah. So did you immediately see that as, hang on, here's a chance for us to show our customers we're focused on them? Of course. Right. Yeah, I think um, the way I look at trust, there are a lot of constructs for trust, a lot of really good ones out there, but I think it comes down to competency and character. And... Um, I think what we showed during that period was incredibly strong character. And we did it in some some simple ways. One is immediately um, talking to our customers. Um, immediately, as, as soon as we know something, customers know something. And, and that was the driver right throughout every single decision, every single thing we did. Um, and so if you maintain your character... From a trust perspective, character is much harder to build than competence. Mm -hmm. And so I think it was actually really focusing on that while you're addressing, obviously, any of the, um, any of the issues that you need to address. Great work, Fiona, really. Um, anything else on your list there? I just don't want to. I don't want to miss anything. No. Do you know what? I, sure? I really, I really like what we've um, what we've talked about, and it's been fun. Good uh, on I've you. enjoyed it. Thanks for coming in to have a chat to us. Thank you.